Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom-free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn, and be inspired together. If you are currently wanting to get personalized advice to support you with your nutrition and hormones, the best place to start is for you to book in a complimentary consultation. In this 15-minute consultation, we will discuss your current health goals, what you can expect from consultations, and we cover any questions that you may have. If you're happy to go ahead, we book in a time for your initial consultation, but equally, if you need a little time to think about it, that is perfectly okay too. To book in a complimentary consultation, simply head over to selendouglas.com forward slash links and navigate to the book section. Alternatively, you will also find the booking link in the show notes on this episode. We hope to meet you very soon. In today's episode, I am being interviewed again by the incredible Steph Lowe, looking specifically at testing superfoods and supplements as it pertains to PCOS. We are covering our concerns with the current diagnostic model, the Rotterdam criteria, and create clarity on how to achieve an accurate diagnosis. We explore testing accuracy, the role of insulin resistance, the key nutrition and lifestyle changes, supplements, and of course, including a little warning in regards to using general hormone supplements, which contain Vitex and so much more. Let's jump into this week's episode. Yes, this is going to be a big topic to unpack today. Look, it is one that we've um, spoken about on the show before, but today is certainly looking at it through a different lens and hopefully creating a lot more clarity Mm. and, um, dispelling some of the myths that we see in the PCOS space. But before we jump in, can we just start with a bit of a definition to set the scene? Yeah, for sure. So PCOS is the acronym for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, And we've spoken before about how it definitely needs to be renamed. (laughs) I've been thinking about this a little bit actually before um, today's recording And I think, you know, the term that's often thrown around at the moment is um, perhaps renaming it to something like um, metabolic hormonal, um, you know, imbalance or something like that. Um, I think maybe even something like, I don't know, metabolic androgen excess or even like adrenal androgen excess. So kind of um, classifying them into two categories, which is very commonly what we tend to see. So I think, um, yeah, that's that's my two cents on how we could rename it. But as for a definition, um, it is a partly a you know genetic condition or there there is a genetic component, um, but it's really that environmental piece which is going to cause the expression of those um, PCOS genes. Um, and what we tend to see from a symptom picture point of view is the irregular cycles, sometimes no cycle at all, um, irregular ovulation, and that obviously goes hand in hand with those irregular cycles. Androgen excess, I think that is the the, the really key um, thing that we're looking for because there are a lot of reasons why we could have no period or an irregular period outside of PCOS. Um, 
sometimes weight gain, but of course not always. And with that androgen excess, we might see things like acne, um, hair loss, hair growth. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have all of those symptoms necessarily, but um, it's really looking for that, um, uh, you know, collection of it. Um, in terms of the conventional diagnostic criteria, that's, of course, the Rotterdam criteria. And you need to have two out of three of those in order to classify for a diagnosis. And those three points are um, polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound, um, irregular or anovulatory cycles, and um, blood test confirming or symptoms of androgen excess. And this is a big part of our previous conversations mm. in, and I guess what we have problems with or, or how we don't agree with that diagnostic criteria because, of course, if you only need two of three and one of them is not the androgen excess, then it's not PCOS at all, right? It's probably something else like HA, like we spoke about with Ellie on the show recently, that if it's hypothalamic amenorrhea, then the treatment is the exact opposite and it's quite concerning that we could go in the wrong direction mm. with our treatment. Yeah, for sure. And I, I've seen that so many times. I truthfully, I just don't think metformin, which is what's prescribed really frequently or the pill, right? Metformin shouldn't be offered unless insulin's been tested, mm. um, full stop, in, in my opinion. Um, and I see it all the time. I had a client recently with HA and um, she was recommended metformin because she'd been diagnosed with PCOS and her insulin came back at three because she has HA, which, you know, is could be a healthy insulin level, but again, we're just sort of, yeah, it's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Well, well it, it, like it's, you know, it's it's like cholesterol. You know, mm. you, you, a, a zero insulin is not the goal, right? <laughs> that would be a big problem. So yeah. if, we're, if we're lowering already very low, like three is as low as I would normally accept, right? For health, mm. and mm-hmm. it's relative to, to her particular case. And if you're lowering three with a pharmaceutical drug, like that's dangerous. That's concerning that there aren't, yeah, like those testing criteria of what should occur before a prescription is is made. Not to mention the dietary recommendations and the list goes on. And and you can already see like there's a lot of issues with the Rotterdam criteria. But I also think um, the name is is a problem as well because of that ultrasound people get really caught up in seeing the ultrasound results whereas we know the diagnostic you know the diagnosis shouldn't come off the ultrasound and we're not even looking at our client anymore we're not even looking at her like I think you can spot PCOS a mile away I think Mm. if you do a a thorough medical history a good initial consultation um, and you look at her and ask her about those symptoms of androgen excess I, I think you can tell a big difference between someone who's got hypothalamic Amenorrhea. Oh, absolutely. And you can generally see it in the case history. Like it's usually blaring you in the face, being able to differentiate the two. Um, you know, key things. I know you went over this with your podcast with Ellie, but you know, really key things I tend to see is um some kind of health and fitness journey preceding the absence of a period that's possibly been taken to the extreme. Um, just this year I've had multiple clients that have done um like fitness comps and that kind of thing. Mm. It's just it's it's so obvious <laughs> when we look <laughs> at that. Um in combination with the testing of course, like obviously we want to get that confirmed. But yeah, it's it's quite frightening really. It is and I've got this Instagram post that hasn't gone live yet but it's something of the sorts of like good morning to everyone except those who prescribe the pill 
or <laughs> restrictive diets that suppress ovulation. Like, mm. I mean, like we've got to really understand the impact of that. Anyway, that's not about PCOS. Let's move on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> so let's get some clarity. Like how do you test for it to get the accuracy and to work around the issues with the Rotterdam criteria? Yeah, yeah. So, well, what I do essentially is when I start working with a new PCOS client, um, they've already received the diagnosis um, Mm. from a doctor. And so, um, firstly, I suppose if I am sure that it's PCOS, then how I approach it um, is to get some more information. So, I want to know um, a bit more about the what else is going on, I guess, from a hormonal perspective, because I think, um, you know, not that no two PCOS cases are the same, but there is variety within the presentation and what we tend to see um, in some of our other um, sex hormones. So I want to look at LH, FSH. I also want to look at um, estradiol as well, because that can be low or high in PCOS. It's not, um, it's not always high. It's not always low. Um, if we um, suspect that ovulation is happening in some cycles or potentially even in all cycles, but later or irregularly, um, I may try and also achieve um, a mid-luteal progesterone test. I always want to check insulin for sure, because Um, More often than not, this is really going to be that key driver. And we spoke about this a lot in that first episode that we did, but anywhere from sort of one to two thirds of PCOS cases um, are insulin driven. um, And that insulin being elevated is um, actually driving that androgen excess in the ovaries. That's really, really important. And I think it's just the, the most obvious thing to try and rule out first. Um, And then we want to look at um, SHBG, which is sex hormone binding globulin. Characteristically, this is going to be low in um, our PCOS clients. And that's really important because it's like a sponge um, that helps to mop up um, extra hormones, right? So if this SHBG is low, the androgens that we do have available are actually going to be more more potent and sort of active in the body because um, we don't have that sponge available. Um, A thyroid panel, I think, is a must because the stats at least show that 25% or so of women with PCOS have um, issues with their thyroid. And I'm sure you would agree that's probably a gross um, underreporting because we just know that there are so many issues in getting accurate thyroid testing, right? So I can only imagine that there's a lot of women with PCOS who have had their thyroid checked in air quotes and it's just been their TSH. Mm. Um, And yeah. If you've listened to a few episodes on the show, I'm sure you know the problems around that. Um, So I think that is a must, you know, getting your T4, T3, ideally reverse T3 and your antibodies as well, just to properly rule out um, any kind of dysfunction there. Um, Prolactin is a must as well. So a lot of the symptoms, I guess, of um, PCOS can, can mirror that of hyperprolactinemia. 
so high prolactin levels and it's a it, it is a sliding scale in terms of how high like if it's really high in your prolactin say consistently 800 or above that's when we're you know referring you back to your doctor to have a chat around possibly ruling out like a prolactinoma um and you're probably going to be referred for an MRI just to check for that. Um, but if it's, say, up in 300s, 400s, it's probably going to be passed off as normal under our mm. standard reference ranges, but you would be quite symptomatic if you had that elevated prolactin. Um, your adrenal hormones, so DHEAS and cortisol, I think are really important as well. Um these aren't necessarily always going to be elevated in PCOS clients, but um, quite often are, and we need to know about that because that points to at least part of the androgen picture being driven from the adrenal glands, mm-hmm. either rather than or as well as the ovaries. And that's really important from, um, I guess, like a, a diet and lifestyle and even supplement treatment strategy point of view that we kind of want to know where the source of that androgen excess is. Um, and then looking at your free and total testosterone is important as well. Um, and, and even small variations of normal in those um, testosterone markers can still cause significant symptoms and, and disrupt ovulation as well. Mm. So it's quite the list, but it, it yeah. really is. It, <laughs> there's some nuances there, of course, but it, it, it is, I think, the way we're going to get a lot more clarity for these women so Mm. that they're actually getting the answers rather than like this sort of somewhat diagnosis suspended in midair that they kind of carry around forever with no kind of resolution plan in place. But but equally, there's lots of other things that we can look at because, Mm. um, of course, with what you said earlier about, okay, so is it purely um, insulin-driven or is it... um, adrenal driven like you need to know about that or you could be you know only looking at half of the equation and it's you know as practitioners we don't like to have blind spots right so we want to understand what all the drivers are so Mm. i think that that highlights the importance of this testing um but it it links in nicely with last week's episode because ellie and i were talking a lot about optimizing pathology testing and you know obviously the accuracy is Mm. what we're lacking you and I were talking off air about the number of hormone tests that we get presented with that are taken on any day of the month that we just want to scrunch up and put in the bin basically because there's obviously certain times that we want to be testing certain parameters. So if you will, can I get you just to kind of clarify some of those tests that you mentioned and how we increase testing accuracy by starting with the right day of our menstrual month, if we can track that, of course, for those that are cycling. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, And, yeah, I I just can't help but laugh at the accuracy because, um, Mm -hmm. sorry, not accuracy, irony, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because I just hear all the time when I'm sending clients in for testing, if they are having, you know, maybe not such a productive um, or positive interaction with their GP that uh, I've had feedback along the lines of, you know, coming in with a t- list of tests like this isn't going to tell you anything. You're just wasting taxpayer money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then on the flip side of that, we so often are getting these hormone tests that have just start- been done on any day, mm-hmm. um, any time, fasting, non-fasting, doesn't matter. Um, and, you know, 
that um, is going to mean that, <laughs> that, yeah, I just can't. That's, just a, can't that's a waste of taxpayers' money, if you ask yeah. me. Like they literally go in the bin. Like I don't want to see your progesterone on day three or 11 or yes. at 6 o'clock in the evening. Like that's just literally useless, right? And yeah. so we, I think one of the problems with GPs is, their business model is very much based on having that pathology company renting the room in, in, in the same mm. building, right? And I see how that works and can be positive many in many ways. But I think what that leads to is a doctor writing a script at any old time of the day and saying, oh, just pop next door and have these done right now while you're here. And it's actually very rare that you can do that. Mm. And you happen to be having an appointment at like 7 a.m., which is unusual, right? There's not many doctors that are working that early. Almost always you have to get the script on another day so yeah. that you can be the first in line at the lab so that you've only done a 10-hour fast, not to mention what day of the month it is for women. And like you said, like the fasting, and then there are all those other categories that we went through last week around exercise and alcohol and sexual intercourse and circadian rhythm. For sure, for sure. So yeah, most of our hormones like um, FSH, LH, estradiol, our androgens, even our prolactin, we're quite happy getting those done on a cycle day two or three. Um, if you're cycling, of course, if you have amenorrhea or no period at all and PCOS, then you know it's a little bit different. Um, but um, cycle day two or three and being that that day one is the first day that you bleed if you're spotting or anything like that you're really counting it day one is that first day that you're actually bleeding um and so getting that done um cycle day two or three if you have a shorter cycle so say let's say you know 28 days or shorter but still within normal range I would be really encouraging you to try and get that day two um because that's going to be slightly more accurate and then also um, getting it done first thing in the morning is really, really important, which you've mentioned because a lot of our hormones, um, are on a diurnal rhythm, um, and they do change and fluctuate throughout the day. Um, you know, our prolactin, that's really, really important that we avoid intercourse the morning of testing. So there are, um, some nuances there and something that we were talking about off air that we just see so often is like a progesterone test included, um, in that day two or three, which is just quite frankly, ridiculous because, progesterone um, majority, large, large majority of it is going to be produced after ovulation, which quite clearly has not occurred on that day two or three. So we're going to get, you know, a progesterone of one or two or it's going to be under four for sure. Mm. Um, and you just helpful. cannot mm. make any kind of clinical judgment about someone's progesterone level um, if it's been tested on that day two or three. So, you know, if someone's telling you your progesterone's normal, but it's been tested, then like you know, just put that advice in the bin essentially because it's mm. useless. It's um, so frustrating, though. I just find it so disheartening for women to have all these tests done and then to come to you and I and mm. be pretty much like starting again. Like, yeah, especially when you no, have to fight tooth mm. and nail often to get the test done in the first place, um, and then if they haven't been done accurately, it's just super yeah. super frustrating. Um, it's just bizarre because the RACGP have so many, so many guidelines around, you know, what's allowed under what conditions and how many times per year and all of that red tape that everyone's so familiar with. And I mm. understand that. So I'm not criticizing that, but you think we could add a layer around, okay, well, these are the testing conditions for progesterone or mm. for LH and FSH. And let's just get the doctors versed on that. So we start with the right information the first time. 
Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, yeah, it's just mind boggling. And I just can't understand because like it, it, all you have to do is look at a graph of the menstrual cycle to understand that it's going to matter what day you test it and, and how yeah. you're therefore interpreting it, right? Like, you know, if we're looking at estrogen on day two and it's sitting at like three or 400, um, that's going to be quite high. But if we're looking at that, um, you know, in the like around ovulation, that's actually going to be quite low. Like it, it matters what we're mm. looking mm. at and we need to sure. know what we're supposed to be comparing it to, like where the, where the, um, the range of normal is and that changes depending on where you're you're sitting at in your cycle and and so often you will say to your client so when did you have these hormones tested at what point in your cycle at which point you're met with like a very blank stare right because no mm-hmm. one's told them that they needed to go away and do it on a particular day and, and that's where like one of the things we were talking about last week as well was like writing these things down because the other thing is if you see your practitioner one month later and she says to you oh, it was the 12th of November, um, what day were you on? Well, you know, I'm not going to remember that, but if yeah. it's in your tracker, you can go back and say, oh, yeah, that was day three or that was seven days after ovulation. Like it, it's all it's all there. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. So that's why often, even if a client hasn't come to me for like pure hormonal stuff, the education almost always starts with some menstrual cycle Mm. Um, education around like not only the period and what's normal but but the discharge and the cycle and all those details that our generation hasn't been taught which we need to know purely just for accurate testing not to mention fertility and conception or or, or avoiding conception and like the list goes on right so yeah yeah so much information Mm. yeah really important I think for getting that um assessment of progesterone right Um, because most, not all, but like most clients, at least when they're starting out, aren't really sure, A, if they're ovulating or, um, you know, the other problem I guess we see with PCOS is like they might be using those LH um, predictor kits, right, which um, in PCOS women are LH dominant and they're potentially attempting to ovulate as well multiple times in a cycle Mm -hmm. and whether or not they're achieving it. Um, is another thing. So, yeah, those predictor kits can just be useless essentially for PCOS, I think, Mm -hmm. which is where we have to go back to basics and and do like your basal body temperature tracking and looking at the um, cervical fluid changes, that kind of thing. I'm loving um, Kindara actually. I don't know if you ever use that, but you can send your clients an invite link and then you can look at their charts and sort of share screen with them in in consultations. And I find that is really, really helpful. as well for me because then I can see, you know, how it's being interpreted by them as well. Yeah. And I want a mirror for everyone, (laughs) the M-I-R-A, which is the beautiful at-home urine test so that you can do it a lot more frequently Mm because I think one of the problems that I have in the clinic is obviously blood tests are already imperfect, but Mm. not to mention they're literally just like that one or two days in one month. And yep. so, like, if she hasn't ovulated or, you know, doesn't you, you just don't get enough trends, whereas the mirror, the M-I-R-A, is something that you can do. Like, you could literally do it every day of the month if you wanted. It would be, it would be expensive, but you can narrow that down over time and you can just get a lot more data about your cycle. So you mm. can be looking at day two and three. You can be looking at ovulation. You can be really getting that right because how many times also have you experienced that your client 
thinks it's ovulation. They add seven days and they go and spend $400 on a Dutch and it's the wrong day. And again, it belongs in the bin. The results are not useful. Mm. So like we've got access to these devices, but Mira is in the mid 300. So I I understand that it's not in everyone's budget, but they exist now, right? So Mm. it does take the pressure away from pathology testing and equally challenges with like doctors and Medicare and the RACGP guidelines. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've got a lot more options. It's just hopefully maybe one day they'll all be Medicare rebated. That would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So testing accuracy is huge, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I I love that list to give us a lot of clarity and help with the diagnosis and then equally as always zoom out and see what else might be playing into it, bearing Mm. in mind that, yeah, the insulin is a big one um, and that's the dead giveaway at least to, to, to rule out if, if you're at the HA end of the spectrum. And then, yeah. of course, that really shapes your diet or dietary recommendations and equally um, beyond that, your supplements. Yeah, definitely. I think that's um, the first thing we want to rule out, absolutely. Um, and I guess some other things that we can be looking at, Um, We talked about the um, DHEA levels as well um, and cortisol. So around the cortisol, just lastly, before I guess we completely wrap up the testing accuracy side of things, we were talking as well about cortisol is one that um, is a little bit trickier to get um, through blood testing because um, A, by the time we've like woken up, got ourselves ready, gone to the pathology, we're not really getting a true representation of that morning cortisol, which is what we want. Um, And then the other thing is that our morning cortisol might be okay if we can get it tested accurately, but there might be issues with it then across the day, um, basically issues with our circadian rhythm and that cortisol perhaps being higher in the evening lower it um, either mid-morning or that first one in the morning. And so um, I, if, again, if possible, it depends on someone's testing budget, but I'd prefer to test your um, cortisol through saliva testing, which we can obviously order through Nutripath and get that um, four points across the day. Yes, yeah, super important. And the other thing that I always think of with um, blood testing is that classic white coat syndrome. You know, people are very familiar with that experience with blood pressure, how they've got like normal blood pressure mm. time, except when the doctor who might not be actually wearing a white coat, but who is a doctor <laughs> measuring their blood pressure, it's suddenly really high. And you see that for people with the anticipatory response to blood testing, right? Not everyone loves mm. the needle going in their vein at seven or eight o'clock in the morning and you can see high high cortisol that's like falsely elevated on that day or you've rushed to the appointment you've been running late or there's other variables that can impact your cortisol quite significantly versus being at home and super chill and and spitting into a tube although it's a lot of saliva for a lot of people it's It's hard (laughs) it's a lot less stressful than a blood test for many others Yeah. Yeah. I know I've done one before and I was shocked. I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to produce this much saliva. I have had a lot of SOSs (laughs) over the years. That is for sure. Especially because yeah, like for a lot of people, it's the first time they've done it and they get a big shock when they see the line on the test tube that that really needs to be that high, that full Mm. of your spit. (laughs) I know. I know. It's, it's really, yeah, it's quite crazy. Mm. Um, Cool. So I thought we would maybe go through some of the, did you want to go through perhaps like some of the other hormones that we look at in PCOS, like the SHBG and prolactin and those things that are perhaps not, um, I guess, 
spoken about enough and and I think Mm. like the interplay is quite interesting where we see like um say that sex hormone binding lobulin where I talked about it's it's like a sponge that's going to help to mop up um excess hormones um which is characteristically going to be low in um PCOS and I guess for numbers sake um ideally we like to see it between 50 and 100 and it's relative to how high your estrogen testosterone levels are so um, for example, if they're both high, you've got, you know, um, a higher estrogen picture and a higher androgen picture and your SHBG is very low, that symptom picture is going to be very much exacerbated. Mm. Um, whereas if you had quite a high SHBG closer to 100, um, then it's it's going to help to, I guess, um, lessen the effects essentially of, of those hormones um and causes is very interesting but very often insulin resistance again so when we're going back to kind of like that root cause we can see that um insulin is one of those top level issues um that's actually affecting a lot of our other hormones and we see that as well with the high prolactin levels um so high prolactin symptom wise very often is breast tenderness with the cycle um not always but that is quite common irregular cycles it can cause that on its own um it can cause issues with implantation as well so definitely fertility challenges um and again the reference ranges for this are just really 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 wide um and much over 200 women are often symptomatic with prolactin um and I, I don't know the exact reference range off the top of my head, but I believe sometimes it goes up to about 500 or so. Do you know what it is, Steph? Let me pull up a couple of different labs and have a look at what I've got on record. But, um, yeah, it's that classic example, right, where we're just <laughs> not looking at what is optimal. 619 yeah. some labs yeah. are up to. Which yeah. is just huge variation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've flagged that inside of PCOS and even outside of PCOS because we can have elevated prolactin um, and not have PCOS. Um, and women are like, no one's ever told me that my prolactin of 500 could be causing yeah. all of these symptoms, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, and so it can be associated with estrogen excess, um, hypothyroidism as well, so very often low thyroid function and iodine deficiency, which, of course, would go hand in hand with your hypothyroidism if we're kind of tracing it back to, again, that root cause, like why um, we, I think we just have to keep asking, but why? So if it's hyperlactin and then we find the hypothyroidism again, it's like, but why? And if we can trace it back to something like iodine, um, we're, of course, looking at that. And insulin as well can worsen prolactin. So, again, where it's still a symptom. <laughs> mm. um, and, and I think we need to always be thinking about in that kind of like hierarchy of hormones, like keep stepping up um, and, and looking at that top level issue and, and, and where it's originating from, I guess. Can sound quite complicated, but if you keep coming back to insulin, it's pretty mm. clear on what to do. And that's what I love about obviously real food and, mm. and the supporting strategies that we have in place. Because once she, the client, understands this complicated picture of results really is driven by one or two main variables, mm. whether it be insulin or the, the adrenal dysfunction, yeah. that can make it really clear on what the action steps are and that there is a way to do this without necessarily medications like we discussed mm. earlier with the metformin being that first line. Um, 
and and doctors are really good at saying things like, oh, you also need to lose weight if that applies to her, but they don't say how. So yeah. it's not really informative to someone who doesn't have the, the knowledge base to, on actually how to achieve that practically. Just eat less and move more, right? <laughs> awesome. Here's no, some don't do that. I don't even. I yeah. know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Um, often in clinic, clients will have um, PCOS, insulin resistance, maybe some non-alcoholic fatty liver. They've got high cholesterol and they've come back from their doctor's appointment and they're like, how do I fix all of these issues? And I'm like, you don't have all of these issues. You've got <laughs> one issue. And if we can solve that, then the rest of it more often than not is going to sort itself out maybe with some, you know, additional supplement support and that kind of thing. Right. But it's, it's not, it's not all of these issues. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way to put it. And, and so like relieving for, yeah. for her to hear that and have a clear action plan put together. Mm. So let's talk about like supporting strategies. Um, mm. I don't know if you want to jump into sort of food recommendations mm. and then move on to some subs. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So I think from a foundational point of view, um, depending on what we're looking at, so it, I think first is identifying whether insulin resistance is present or not. Now, if it is, um, we need to be conscious of carbohydrates. I think that's a must. So first out, starting with macronutrient balance, I find you know a, a lot of clients are not doing this. So really simple things like, are you having enough protein? Are you having enough fats? Are you having fiber? So I always start there because there's honestly just no point looking at supplements like inositol or chromium or any of your blood sugar regulating supplements if you're not doing those foundational things first. And I think there is a real problem with people wanting to either not having like the tools and the knowledge around how to do that really well, or again, wanting to like out supplement their PCOS. Right. Mm. And, and like, you can't do that. It's like trying to, it's like just replacing metformin and not wanting to actually change anything. And, you know, taking supplements is really easy. Changing your diet consistently can be really hard for some people. And I understand that, but ultimately, like, I think that is first and foremost, where we need to start. We absolutely can't bypass that step um, because I think, you know, supplements work well when we've made those changes, but otherwise often it's just like marginal improvements that we'll see with those alone. So um, macronutrient balance, I think fiber, fats, proteins, um, depending on where someone's insulin is at will govern, you know, what I'm recommending in terms of carbohydrate amounts. Um, we do have a few other strategies where we can look at, you know, carbohydrate placement, looking at, um, having them after training, if someone's training or like first thing in the, like with the morning meal, um, looking at like lower carbohydrate, um, meals in the afternoon or evening for that, that last meal of the day, looking at what's going on from a snacking perspective, that was obviously super important, um, some simple strategies like swapping out like an apple for something that contains fiber and fats um, or proteins instead of um, like naked carbohydrates is great. Um, something I've been doing a little bit recently with clients um, is getting them to experiment with like continuous glucose monitoring mm. um, because I think this is really insightful for a lot of people, um, especially the ones that are perhaps a little bit resistant to making some changes with um, their bread. Yeah, with <laughs> things like that. They um, do not want to cut out their bread, yeah. Um, to an extent, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know, it, it's 
surely oh, it's I'm, easier I'm to cut you. it. I yeah. mean, look, high insulin is high insulin. You can't, yes. it is what it is. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So I think um, that can be really insightful because we're getting that real-time data again. Yeah, and so um, it's not necessarily that it changes, I think, my prescription, but it helps the client to see um, their individual response to certain foods and sort of what's happening there. So I think that's really great. Um, if we're looking at more an adrenal um, type picture, um, there is crossover for sure. We want to look at macronutrient balance. Um, we're probably going to have some more leniency around carbohydrates. Um, absolutely. Um, and then some other just foundational things, you know, like you no know, coffee first thing in the morning, having it after your food, don't have six coffees a day. Like I had a client the other day that was doing and didn't realize that that has a huge impact on driving up your blood glucose levels. Um, I know. I just think I would be straight to the emergency room having a panic attack, but my husband <laughs> sometimes has four doubles. I can't. I, I know. I have one decaf and I'm a yeah. mess most of the time. It's yeah. just like, what? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Especially after being off coffee yeah. for so long, you're quite yes. sensitive to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're the really key foundational things. Um, there are some other tweaks that um, can be made looking at, um, at say like your meal timing, mm-hmm. um, your overnight fasting, all of that kind of nuance. But I think from a foundational point of view, that macronutrient balance piece is super, super important to get it right. Um, and very, very commonly, I think the key thing we see is like no protein first thing in the morning, which is just causing then like the snack monster to come out in the afternoon. So getting that right is very, very key before looking at any supplements, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm all for the CGM. Like I think it's $99 for two weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, anyone who's tried to do the finger prick at home will know how easy it is to do the one, the fasting, but how hard it is to capture one and two hours after your meal, especially if you're testing your response to a more carby meal and, and looking at, you know, the, the full day in context to your PCOS supporting strategy mm. is the CGM just sort of dumps all that data in for you. And as long as you know what you're eating, so you can have a look at, you know, your response, two weeks can tell you all you need to know, especially because most of us eat pretty consistently across a day, let alone a fortnight. So I think that's such a powerful tool. And a lot of my clients use it for, you know, varying reasons, but it's kind of like how a blood test can tell someone they're drinking too much or whatever they need to remind them what they already know. But a CGM can really sort of give, give evidence to that and, and show you that unfortunately you're, if you're carbohydrate intolerant, you need to be reducing your intake of carbohydrates. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I think um, it's super helpful as well to um, support, our suspicions and and I guess how we're delivering that information as well and it's less about like I think you know oh my nutritionist recommended that I cut out these carbohydrates in the evening or whatever and and they can actually see that real-time data so um yeah your body isn't lying in that sense right? yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah. and you've you mentioned a couple of supplements there's another yeah. review that you like to use but you've also got a bit of a warning to include about some um some oh, yes. that you see being made as well yeah i'll mention that first so um mm. i have had a few quite a few pcos clients recently taking and i won't mention any like brand names or anything but just sort of some generic um you know hormone balance supplements and a lot of them contain vitex or chase tree mm. um 
which is a herb. Um, and very, very commonly it is marketed as um, a herb that supports and increases progesterone levels um, via sort of um, regulating the, um, the HPO or HPA axis. Um, and whilst that is true and Chase Tree or Vitex can be super helpful for a lot of clients, it's quite um, or can be quite a problem for women with PCOS and I'd say more often than not it is and that's because it also increases your LH um, and what we know from this conversation today is women with PCOS are LH dominant um, and that LH increase is actually going to worsen the androgen excess. So what we'll often see is um, perhaps more irregularity with the cycle, acne being worsened. The other thing about chase tree, I think, which often isn't also discussed is that it's also estrogenic as well. Um, and so in any of our PCOS clients that also do have an estrogen excess picture, which a lot do, particularly if they're having really heavy bleeds and they've got endometrial thickening and that kind of thing going on, um, Vitex can also worsen that picture as well. So I think that's just something to be really, really conscious of. And that just comes down to, you know, like knowing what you're taking, just being really careful if you are self-prescribing because, um, yeah, we can't just take these kind of like generic hormone balance things, right? Like there's so much nuance, um, mm. as we've sort of gone through today, but that would sort of be my you know, two cents word of warning on those things. No, it's, it's relevant. Vitex is in a lot of things. It's it's in a lot of the, yeah, like you said, the generic bland, brands that have um, really gained popularity as mm. well. So you can imagine the number of women that are self-prescribing that don't quite understand the contraindications. So that's really important advice. Yeah, and I truly think it just should be on the label. Like, you know, if you've got PCOS or you've got issues with estrogen or whatever, like it, it needs to be, I think, a bit more... Um, clearly discussed potentially mm. there's some issues there which is yeah interesting these things can get through the tga but then they're so strict on other things yeah totally oh, you read my mind i was just thinking the same thing i was like mm. they, they pick their battles i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah mm. um some other things from a food-based perspective um flaxseed can be really really helpful um it can help to increase shbg and i do have some results here from a 12-week study where people were consuming 30 grams a day of ground flax seeds. Um, I do recommend buying the whole seeds and not um, pre-ground because they're more susceptible to oxidation than um, so buying them whole, grinding them yourself um, and hopefully storing them in the fridge mm. is best. Um, but, yeah, these, these people consumed um, or these women consumed 30 grams a day um, and they just did some general lifestyle changes, like 30 minutes of physical activity per day um, and not a whole lot else. Um, and even just in their SHBG levels in a 12-week period increased from um, the average was 45 to 55.8. Their CRP reduced from 3.8 to 2.8. And their um, free um, androgen excess um, index, sorry, reducing from 2.4 to 1.7. So we do see that decrease there, um, which is really, really incredible just from something so simple like that. Mm -hmm. Mm, that Which is I love. cool. Yeah, yeah, so easy to include. For sure. Um, and a couple of other things, spearmint tea is also a great one. Um, this is obviously just from a really, really small study of only 21, um, but two cups a day were shown to decrease androgen levels. Um, however, there was no change in the um, hair growth, obviously, because 
that takes quite some time and they were only followed for 30 days. There was a decrease. Um, I don't have the exact number, but it was quite significant decrease in testosterone levels. Um, but that didn't follow through as a decrease in the hair growth because from a hormonal perspective, that's going to take a lot longer than 30 days. So I think there's probably more research needed around that, but it is a nice, pretty easy strategy to include that's obviously very cost effective as well, not going to cost you a whole bunch in terms of supplementation. Um, we found more um, insulin resistant women, um, things like myo and ositol are great, of course. That's really, really commonly discussed in the literature. Um, some studies finding it to be as effective as metformin. Um, which is great. And then I think your, you know, magnesiums, chromium, B vitamins, even if we can find like a complex with that in it is going to be great and perhaps add some, some higher dose um, myonositol into there. Um, and that helps to improve your LH to FSH ratio, um, increase your SHBG and, and lower your androgens as well, which is kind of like exactly what we're aiming for with PCOS, mm. like lower the androgens, lower the LH for sure. And, you know, um, increase the shbg because all of that in a nutshell is really going to improve that that um woman's symptom picture and i always think about magnesium as nature's metformin imagine if doctors yeah. looked at it like that that would I be know. cool and it doesn't if prescribed mm. correctly of course doesn't cause like diarrhea and all these other things that we well, it's get also not gonna this. get it's not gonna <laughs> get ha women in trouble is it that she's gonna benefit no. from magnesium without having the consequences of lowering already very low insulin right so you can only dream we can mm. only dream um and then just a couple of other things reishi can be great as well um i think particularly in our clients that have got those high dhea levels that's going to be really helpful because it helps um reduce the conversion of testosterone into dht so women that are like losing their hair and that kind of thing this the is male pattern that, hair loss yeah yeah that can be quite helpful for sure um zinc is often talked about and look yes it can be super helpful but like let's test your zinc right and see where that's at let's not just kind of take these generic strategies and apply them all willy-nilly um, and then this is obviously a little bit out of our realm, of course, but some herbs like peony, licorice, black cohosh, they can obviously be really helpful. Black cohosh in particular is really helpful for lowering LH secretions. And that is, um, such a, I think target for PCOS mm -hmm. is lowering that LH because ultimately, again, when we're talking about that, like hierarchy of hormones, that's obviously really high up. Um, and so if we're able to address that and bring down that LH, it's going to have a flow on effect to the rest of the, the, the sort of um, hormonal cascade. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So many things we can do naturally. And like, I hope that's been so empowering to our listeners today, just to understand that there's so many foundations plus mm. some really good strategies that can help depending on the bigger picture and, and what her case looks like in entirety. So I just wanted to give you the space to yeah, add anything else that you wanted to to the conversation. Otherwise, remind our listeners where they can follow you and, and learn more online. Yeah, I don't think I have too much um, to add other than, you know, I, I guess my advice ideally would be try and work with someone to help you apply all of this knowledge to your individual case mm -hmm. because there is a lot of variation within PCOS and also within someone's health goals. For example, someone might be trying to conceive, they might have come off the pill or they might be wanting to come off. Like there's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of variation um, and we can help tailor that approach, I guess, 
based on your goals as well and maybe what has or hasn't been unpacked so far. Um, And then, yeah, you can come and find me. Um, My handle on Instagram is where I am most active still, and that's Douglas underscore nutrition. Otherwise, my website's just selendouglas.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.